listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor David Sinkery. Is that good? Can we hear me? Okay. Well, hey, if, if you've been with us for any time in 2013, you know that we're in a year-long series, a 52-part series about Jesus. Uh, we're calling it Centered because Jesus is the center of the Christian faith. He is the chief cornerstone. He's the rock upon which we build the church. And uh, so we're looking at his life, his ministry, his miracles, his parables, his teachings. And right now we're smack dab in the middle of some of his teachings. And Pastor Bill talked with us last week about Jesus' teaching on not judging others. A very timely message for me, I know personally, and some of you that I talked to afterwards, it was a powerful message for you and, and, and uh, a message that we all need to hear. But I appreciated it so much because he was very balanced in that a lot of times when you hear a message on not judging others, you just become determined. Okay, I'm never going to talk to anyone about their sin because, you know, Matthew 7, 1, don't judge others. I'm never going to, to go to another brother or sister and, and confront something because, you know, John 8, who am I to throw the first stone? I've got sin in my life. And here's the thing, that is not biblical. Um, for us to decide that we would never confront sin at all anymore goes directly against the Word of God. And, so, and that's not even what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 7. Um, Pastor Bill talked from Matthew 7 last week, and uh, at the end, Jesus says, you know, when you're, when you're going to someone to confront them on their sin, make sure you remove the plank from your own eye so that you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. But he doesn't say, hey, just don't worry about the speck. It's their business. It's their problem. Their sin is their problem. Your sin is your problem. So just don't talk to anybody about their sin. Jesus makes a clear distinction here. We are supposed to care about fellow believers and their sin. The Apostle Paul makes this distinction even better in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. So when it comes to judging others, we are not supposed to judge non-Christians. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, we invite you just to listen in. I've prayed for you a lot this week because of the topic that I'm teaching on. It's not necessarily the best week, in my opinion, to come to church. Um, It wouldn't be my pick anyway. Um, But I believe, I pray that God will use it so you can, it'll help you understand a little bit more about what it means to be a Christian and even a difficult part about what it means to be a Christian. Um, But the Apostle Paul and Jesus are clearly saying that Christians ought to be about confronting each other lovingly, gently, and carefully on each other's sins, that we should be caring about this. And this process in the church is called, um, formally, church discipline. Now, um, I know when I say that, it produces all sorts of things in your mind. And some of you just said, you know, I wonder if maybe the next time he looks down at his notes, I can get out the back door real quick and, and maybe just, just sit this one out. Um, I get it. This is not a popular topic in the church to talk about. As a matter of fact, I, I can't think of maybe more than one sermon that I've ever heard on church discipline. It's, it's almost extinct in the church. Um, you hear a lot of slogans, a lot of mantras that churches use, and you, you can see them around town, and even life church. We're life-giving. Um, we're a place for sinners. We are a grace-filled church. Uh, we're loving God, loving people. All these things are very good because the message of the gospel is very positive. But what you never hear is, if you come to this church, you can experience discipline. You never hear that. I mean, I've, I've searched and I've never seen a church put that up on their website. You know, we, we are a place that disciplines sinners. You know, you never ever see that. 
Um, and I think there's good reason that, that church discipline has probably gotten a bad rap because many of you have probably heard a story, if you've been in church for a while, of kind of a botched attempt at church discipline. Um, I know that I was talking with a young lady not too long ago about how her church, every time someone sinned, they immediately had to come up and confess the whole thing to the church. Friends, that is not what church discipline is. You get these images of the holiness police running around, you know, searching, peeking around every corner and having their binoculars out and watching you while you're checking out at the grocery store and, and watching you as you're renting your movies at Redbox and, and just waiting to expose your sin to the whole body of Christ. My prayer today is that we would be able to take a fresh look at this idea of church discipline. Why is this so important? Why does Jesus talk about it here? This is one of two times that Jesus mentions the church. And it's in regard to church discipline, the teaching that we're going to look at here. Why is this such a big idea for us? And maybe could we take a fresh look, take a fresh start at this? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the theologian, said this, Nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sin. Do you believe that? That it's actually cruelty if you say the, 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 the super spiritual things we often say. Well, you know, Matthew 7, I, it's not for me to judge. Who am I to judge you? After all, i got sin in my own life. John 8, you know, let whoever's without sin throw the first stone. I'm not going to judge you. Your sin is your deal. My sin is my deal. Okay? Um, well, Obviously, speaking about unbelievers, yeah, we're not supposed to judge them. But when you say those kinds of things to people in the church, you're actually being cruel. When you say in your heart, I'm not going to confront brother or sister so-and-so on their sin lovingly because I don't, I don't want to mess with that. Bonhoeffer says that's actually cruelty. And he says nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin fellow Christian brother and sister in here today, I'm telling you, if you see me running towards sin, if you see me getting trapped into, getting pulled into sin, I pray that you would not use super spiritual jargon to excuse yourself from confronting me. Pull me back. Confront me on it. It is the most loving thing that you could do. And I pray that I would be able to, in humility and in understanding what God has done and the great love that you had for me, repent of my sin. And come back and realize, wow, God loves me enough. And that person loves me enough that they would do that. You know, this is something that we've actually committed to here at Life Church. If you become a covenant member here, this is something that we all have committed to. We ask covenant members as they join the church that, uh, are you willing to be discipled and to help disciple others? We can understand in the word disciple, one of the, one of the key components of it is discipline. And all of a Christian's life is discipline. When we pray, that's a part of formative discipline. And when we fast, that's a part of discipline. But also, there is corrective discipline when we go astray. And our lives are really one big, long path of walking away, wandering away, and then being brought back. And the Holy Spirit, a lot of times, is doing that. But when there are special measures needed, God has provided the church and the body of Christ to help bring us back. If you've attended a baptism here at Life Church down at Sioux Empire Fitness are out at Wall Lake. One of the questions we asked the congregation gathered around this person, because people don't baptize themselves, because the church is the one, the church is who declares this person belongs to Christ. We don't individually declare I belong to Christ. The church is the one that testifies that. We asked the congregation, do you, the body of Christ, commit to praying for these members, surrounding them with support, encouragement, and loving correction? 
And we all say, I do, right by the pool. And we all clap and we have food and stuff, and it's great. But how many of us really mean that? How many of us really mean, I love you enough, brother or sister, that I'm not going to let you slide into unrepentant sin. I'm not going to let you walk down the path of destruction without calling you gently, humbly, and and obviously in self-examination. Jesus says you first got to remove the plank from your own eye before you do this. We're not talking about somebody wrestling with sin here, battling sin, warring against sin. We're talking about somebody living in rebellion, open rebellion, and unrepentant sin before God. And in that case, you, Christian, God has designed you, called you in this body to be a part of calling this person in love back to repentance and trust in Christ. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18 today. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, you can turn there. Otherwise, there's a hardback black one in the back. And if you don't have a Bible, by the way, that's our gift to you. Take it home. Read it, study it. We're always going to be in the Word of God. There's power in this Word. And so uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 is where we're going to be today. And um, diving into what Jesus says here about this very difficult issue of church discipline. He says here in Matthew 18, verse 15, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen... Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just pray that you would come and unpack this scripture for us, Lord. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would give us fresh eyes to see this difficult thing, this gut-wrenching thing called church discipline. We pray that you would help us to see the incredible love that you have in this, that you would pursue us even in our sin. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so in this passage, I want you to see three big ideas. First of all, I want you to see the process. There's a very specific process involved with church discipline. You don't just do this off the cuff. Like I said, you don't just find somebody in a sin and then, rent, and then run them up in front of the church. That's nothing like what this, this is a very specific process that Jesus lays out here. Okay? And then I want us to see the promises of Christ. While we're in the midst of this difficult thing, called church discipline, Christ makes some very powerful promises to the church. And I want us to look at those. Those are significant for us to understand. And then finally, we'll wrap up with the purpose. So we're going to see the process, the promises of Christ, and the purpose of discipline in the church. So here we go. The process. It's a four-step process. And I would note, it begins with, if your brother or sister, it is for Christians only. We've already sort of established that. This is not a process for you, an unbelieving friend. You don't handle the, uh, the stuff, sins with unbelievers like this, okay? Um, this is between a Christian and another Christian, okay? Or, or between, you know, a Christian who sins against someone else, and you find out about it. Um, then, then, of course, the next part that we have to establish is this is about sin, okay? Um, this does not include every circumstance in the church. So if someone, and especially not crimes, for goodness sakes, 
So if a woman is sexually assaulted in the church, we don't say, okay, now you need to go talk to your brother alone. We, that, would, that is absolutely not what we do. We don't hide crime in the church. We report it to the authorities. All right? Romans 13, we should be submitted to the governing authorities. So if there is a crime, you report it to the authorities. You don't try to deal with it in the midst of the church. Okay? Um, but it also has to be under the category of sin. And sometimes I think that church discipline has happened and, and has been abusive to people because it really wasn't sin. You know, people got in church discipline for dancing. Um, they got in church discipline for uh, R-rated movies. Now, I'm not recommending any of these things. And I'm, I certainly believe we should be careful about what we put into our minds. But here at Life Church, you will not be disciplined for drinking a beer, smoking a cigarette. None of those things are forbidden in Scripture. All right? It's got to be something clear in Scripture that someone is choosing to live in clear rebellion against the Word of God and against the commands of Christ. So I think smoking is bad. I think science is on our side. But I don't think, I don't think it's good for you. But I don't think it's, it doesn't say in Scripture you cannot smoke. So we're not going to bring the elders before you and, and confront you on that. Now we might say, hey, look, your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you want to consider that, you know, trying to quit smoking. All right? But, but it, this needs to be a sin issue, and I think that's where the church has often got off, off track, is that we get nitpicky about stuff that's our standard instead of God's standard. So we need to be careful here. This is a very serious process, and so we only need to enter into this when there is clear sin. It can't be something that you're just annoyed with. It can't be something that just irritates you about another person. It is when there's clear sin. And then we enter into step one. There's clear sin. It's not a crime personal confrontation. Jesus says, go and point out their fault. Go to the person just between the two of you. So notice, and you will appreciate this, Jesus is trying to keep the circle as small as possible for as long as possible. So contrary to those churches that bring people up the moment someone finds out about a sin, Jesus is saying, no, no, no. We protect first and foremost. And the ideal situation is for one brother to go to his brother, and confront them personally, and no one ever needs to know about it. It's a personal confrontation. It has power because the person's saying, okay, I'm inspecting my own life, and I've done that, and yes, I'm not perfect, and I have sin in my life, but I'm I'm warring against it, but I, I have the responsibility to go and call this brother or sister on their sin. And they do that in love and in humility. And then, Jesus says, if it works, he says, if they listen to you, you have won them over. What an incredible testimony. You've won them over. You've protected them. You've, you've guarded them against walking down the path of destruction. You've won a brother or sister over. But, verse 16, Jesus says, If they will not listen, take, two or three, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So step one, the main pitfall we're trying to avoid is gossip. You talk to the person, not about the person. And this can be especially difficult if they sin against you personally, right? I don't know if any of you are like me, but when someone sins against me personally, I'm pretty burnt up about it. And I want to talk to some people about it. I want to vent about it. If you need to talk to someone about it before you go and talk to them, talk to the Lord about it. It works great. Read the Psalms. David does it all the time, all right? If you need to talk to someone, you need to talk to the Lord about it, and then you go first to the person. Otherwise, it's gossip. Now, what if I bring it up in a prayer request? Well, then it's a prayerful gossip. You need to talk to the person about it, right? Talk to the person about it. Go to them, directly to them, and not to someone else. If they won't listen, 
Now you've got to bring someone else into it. So he says, one or two others. Still trying to keep the circle small. Still trying not to expose this sin. Still trying to protect this brother or sister. And preferably take somebody, Jesus doesn't say it here, but I think preferably take somebody that is close to this person. Don't take two people that they don't even really know who they are. Take some people that are in their life group or take some people that are involved in a particular area in the church of ministry who know them and know their life and spend time and eat together. It'll have way more power if you do that. So now you and two of their, one or two of their closest friends are going to them and you're saying, you're pleading with them. Okay, this is done not in judgment. Look at what you've done, but it's pleading. Brother, sister, please repent of this. We're begging you, repent and turn from this. This is going to lead you down the path of destruction. The enemy wants to destroy your life. Please, we're begging you, repent of this. We're not saying we're any better than you. We're saying this unrepentant sin will lead to destruction in your life. And again, if the person repents, then you rejoice. You've won a brother. But Jesus says, goes further. He says, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. Tell it to the church. So the small group confrontation has gotten a little bit stronger than the personal confrontation, and now we're seeing throwing the whole kitchen sink at them. And I used to think, how unloving to, to expose this to the body of believers. How unloving. But think about it the other way around. God has already given them two chances to come to repentance. They're walking, running now towards destruction. And God says, I love you this much that I'm going to throw the whole body of Christ at you. I'm going to send the whole body of Christ after you to stop you before you destroy yourself, before the enemy has you completely in his grasp. I think that's a pretty loving thing to do. Now, of course, this has some some pragmatic, some practical things that need to be considered. You don't just get up here and, hey, while we pass the offering, pray, Brother, Brother Joe and Sister Sally, you know, we need to talk about them, and, and, and they're living in unrepentant sin. We don't do this on a Sunday morning. We have visitors here. Hopefully, we have unbelievers here. We love it when unbelievers come and visit church because we get to talk to them about Jesus, about the gospel. But this should take place in a time where there are covenant members only, people that have covenanted together and said, this is my body of believers. This is, this is the body of Christ around me. And I'm committed to caring for these people spiritually. And so in humility and in a somber attitude, you go to them and you say, brother or sister is is caught up in sin. And they've been approached twice. And they will not repent. You need to pray for this brother or sister. Because Satan would have them and wants to destroy them. And you need to email them. And text them. And if you're close to them, you need to go to them in love and in humility. And you need to examine your own life first. But you need to go to them and you need to pull them back from their sin. You need to do everything you can. Because step three is the last ditch effort. This is throwing everything we got at the situation out of love and out of compassion for them. And of course, that leads to step four. Jesus says, and if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Treat them as you would an unbeliever, basically. Okay? And of course, this doesn't mean we're cruel to them. Jesus loved pagans and tax collectors. We're supposed to love them perhaps even more. And now we begin sharing the gospel with them again. We care for them at the deepest level. We say, brother or sister, we're praying for you. 
We love you. Please repent of this sin. But at this point, something about the relationship needs to change. Uh, The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 that the immoral brother should be expelled from the church, removed from the church at this point. Now, I'll be honest, this rarely ever happens. Usually because if a person is unrepentant, they get offended after step one and they leave. And you never hear from them again. Um, so this is, in this situation is a situation where a brother or sister in Christ is wanting to live, is insisting on living in unrepentant sin, rebellion against God, and wanting to stay a member of the church. You really don't see that very often anymore. But if that is the case, it is the church's responsibility to cut them off from the membership. And you think, wow, you talk about lo- unloving. What could be more unloving than that? But let me put it to you this way. I ask you to consider, what if the church together would say, that's fine. You know, Paul, the the situation Paul was dealing with in 1 Corinthians 5 was a guy was sleeping with his stepmom. And the church was cool with it. So he rebuked them. He didn't rebuke the guy, he rebuked the church. He says, what are you doing? What are you doing? Allowing this to go on in the church. Because what you're doing is you're allowing this person to be deceived. Because the church is the one that says, you belong to Christ. They give testimony that says, you belong to Christ. And so in putting them outside the church, they are saying, we can no longer say that you belong to Christ. We don't want you to be deceived. You are no longer a Christian. Let's just be clear about it. Let's just call a spade a spade. You're refusing, you're, you're refusing to submit to the lordship of Christ. You're refusing to obey the commands of Christ. We've called you on this three times, including the whole church, and you will not repent. So we together can no longer testify that you belong to Christ. And that is a wake-up call. It's supposed to be a wake-up call for this person. Paul says, hand them over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh, that in the end they might be saved. So the goal is still always restoration and salvation of this person. But if you let them go on in the church, if the church says, oh, whatever, we're just indifferent towards people's sin, you realize how damning that is. You realize how dangerous that is for you and for me to say, my sin is fine because the church has no issue with it. The church is totally cool with it. So that must mean I can be a Christian and and keep sinning, keep living in open rebellion against God. So it is not a loving thing. Do not address this. And actually, one of the most loving things that you could do is turn them over to Satan and the world, just like the prodigal son did. Let them hit bottom and pray for them and seek them out. The whole time, preach the gospel to them. Hey, come and repent. Hey, Jesus Christ will forgive you. Come back. We love you. We're waiting to restore you. The most loving thing that a community can do, if, if it is necessary, step four. Okay, so that's the process. Now the promises of Christ when in the difficult process of discipline in the church. Jesus gets to some very confusing and often misquoted, misinterpreted verses, and by myself included. I, 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 read, I, I studied this this week, and I thought, man, I don't know, I can't even count how many times I've misinterpreted this passage and lifted it right out of the scenario of dealing with sin in the church. Okay, so let's read it. Verse 18. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I used to think this just means Christians can just bind and loose demons and devils and and different things, and you can just go around binding and loosing stuff and and do all kinds of crazy things with it. But what Jesus is talking about here is he's talking about in the context of discipline in the church, he's saying, I have given the church authority 
You've got to get this. The church, the body of Christ together, has incredible amount of authority to declare whether a person's sins are forgiven based on their confession of Christ and their repentance of sin. So that's why at baptism, we all gather around as a community and we say this person has confessed Christ as their Lord and Savior. They repented of their sin and their self-righteousness and they turned and trusted completely in Him. And so we now declare that you belong to Christ as the body of Christ. Individuals don't get to say, hey, I belong to Christ and I am now Christ's representation to the world. No, the church is the one, the church is, is the organization that God has chosen, that Christ has given the authority to, to declare that over a person. And that's why Jesus can say here that when a, when a person lives in unrepentant sin, you, you bind that person's sin to them. You say, because you refuse to repent of your sin, um, we can no longer declare that you are a Christian. And the church has authority to do that. That person's sin is bound to them. And likewise, when you come to repentance of your sin and your self-righteousness, you say, I can't save myself. I need Christ. I'm going to trust only in Christ. The church has the authority to say, we declare that you belong to Christ because you have confessed him as your Lord and Savior and because you have repented of your sin and are warring against sin. This doesn't mean that we're perfect. It means that we're now warring against sin and we're, we're constantly moving in the direction of Christ. So this binding and loosing thing is all about God giving authority to the church. It's all about God giving authority to the church. So do you realize that we together, as, as a body of Christ, as Life Church, we have the responsibility to declare this person belongs to Christ. And if a person is going to live in unrepentant sin, we also have the responsibility to say, we no longer acknowledge that you belong to Christ. It breaks our hearts. It grieves us. But at this point, we can no longer confess that you are a Christian. That is supposed to be an incredible entrustment. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 16 as well, if you want to look at it. He talks about giving the church the keys to the kingdom. And so this binding and loosing thing is all about authority when it comes to dealing with sin in the church and when it comes to calling someone a Christian based on their confession of Christ as the Messiah and based on their repentance from sin. Now, the second promise there is also one that is often misquoted in verse 19. Jesus says again, Truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. You know, I've heard people preach on this and and do all kinds of funny things with it. You know, say, okay, if we get together and the two of us agree that we need new cars, that God will do it for us. You know? We get together and we agree that God should bless us and make us filthy rich, that God will do that for us. And it's sort of like God's magical formula. Oh, you got one. Definitely not. Now that you got two, it's done. You know, I mean, that doesn't even make sense, right? But we, we often lift that text right out of the context of what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the size of the proverbial jury. You get two or three people together and you're praying and seeking God's wisdom on how to handle a sin issue in the church and, God, and Jesus is saying, my Father is behind you. My Father is backing you up. He's saying, when you're going to do this difficult work, my Father will be there too, giving you what you ask for. So if you make a judgment there, he's going to sign off on it. He's giving the church authority to deal with these issues. And that's why it's so important that we do it carefully, prayerfully, humbly. Because God has given the church authority to deal with these issues of discipline, to deal with these sin issues. Now, Jesus also makes a promise here in verse 20. He says, 
For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Now, I've said this and prayed this and, and probably preached on it, unfortunately, as, well, when two or three are gathered, you know, at a prayer meeting, you have a small prayer group and you all gather and you say, well, well, two or three are gathered, he's there. And I've said that a million times. And really, the reality is, that doesn't make sense either because how many of you pray alone at home? I hope so. And how many of you are thinking, if just one more person would show up, then Jesus would finally be here? You know what I mean? Like, you're never thinking that. You're never like, hey, that doesn't make any sense. How many people does it take for Jesus to show up to a prayer meeting? Just one. So this is not talking about prayer meetings. This is talking about church discipline again. He's saying, where two or three gather in my name to do this very difficult work of church discipline. And it is difficult. It's gut-wrenching, isn't it? I mean, how many of you parents love to discipline your kids? I mean, not me. That's my least favorite part of it. Cody's saying, yeah, my parents love it. (laughs) Nobody loves to discipline their kids, but you do it because you love them. The church does not love to discipline its members, its people. But we do it because it's loving. You're getting this? We've got to change our mindsets on this. Like Bonhoeffer says, it's the most loving thing you could do as a church, and it's the most cruel thing to not do it. Jesus is saying, when you're going to do this difficult work, don't be afraid. I'll be with you. I'm going to show up. When two or three of you gather and you're going to struggle through this and you're going to examine yourselves and you're going to try to be humble about it, and you're not going to be self-righteous about it, and you're going to, this person's probably going to get angry at me and they're going to leave the church and it's going to be bad and this is obviously going to be terrible and I hate doing this. When you get together to do that kind of work, he says, I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to give you the words to say, I'm not going to leave you alone in the process. I'll be there with you. That's the promises of Christ. Now the purpose of discipline in the church. The first purpose is obviously the purpose of all of our lives, and that is the glory of God. We discipline in the church because it brings God glory when people are conformed to God's image. And it doesn't bring him glory when people are calling themselves Christians and openly rebelling against the commands of Christ. That does not glorify God. And so we do this, first of all, to glorify God. But there are two other major reasons that we find in Scripture. And the first is the purity of the body of Christ. Now, we've talked about this, touched on it a little bit before, but we have got to get in this mindset that we are connected as the body of Christ more than you think you are. We have such an individualistic mindset in our Western culture, and we think, I like this, and I don't like that, so I go over here and get this, and I go over here and get that, and who really needs to be a member of church anyway, because I can just kind of listen online, and there's podcasts available. But here's the reality, friends. We are connected to the body of Christ, and by the way, the New Testament church knows nothing of a Christian who is not connected to the body of Christ. So the church is the body of Christ, And if you are not connected to the body of Christ, Jesus is saying, treat them as an unbeliever. That means to be separate from the body of Christ is to be separate from Christ. Now, we're not saying that you're not saved if if you're not a member of a church. But we're saying, how do you know? Because the church is the one that testifies, yes, you belong to Christ. And so, the church is extremely, extremely important. And as a community, we are pure or unpure before God. We are connected one to another. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, he uses the example of leaven in in a lump of bread. He says, a little leaven leavens a whole lump. So you might have thought, hey, your sin doesn't affect me, brother. Hey, sister, your sin doesn't affect me. Hey, my sin doesn't affect you. My sin is my issue. 
And we often say weird things like that. But it's not true. Paul says one person's unrepentant rebellion against God affects the whole body. It contaminates the whole body. One person's sin. So our sin is each other's responsibility. Friends, if I am sinning, it is contaminating all of you. If I'm living in open, unrepentant rebellion against God, obviously I sin, and I repent of it, and I'm warring against it. So if you're in that category, we're not talking about you, but if I'm living in, if I say this is the command of Christ and I refuse to obey, I'm going to live contrary to the command of Christ, then that's going to contaminate the whole body of life, church. And the same thing with you. Paul's idea there is a little bit of substance, tiny little bit of substance, can affect in incredible, powerful ways a, a great big bit of substance. So a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. So it's about purity in the body of Christ. We are all connected. Our sin matters. And that's why we carefully, lovingly, humbly do church discipline is because we want to be pure for Christ. The church is called Christ's bride and we want him to come and find a pure bride. He's not going to find a perfect bride, I'll tell you that much. But we want him to find a pure bride, not a bride living in unrepentant rebellion against him. The, la- the, the, the third and final thing, and we're going to end here, the purpose of discipline in the church is the restoration of the believer. This is completely the entire way through the New Testament that, that the main purpose of uh, disciplining someone is love for them and restoration of the believer. It's to bring them back. It's to restore them to the body of Christ. Even Paul, in, in, as harsh as it might seem, he says, hand them over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh, that in the end they might be saved. He's not saying, hand them over to Satan, let's all laugh at them. You know, he's saying, do this because Satan will work them over. And he will. And, and you, you see the prodigal son in Luke 15. You get out in the world and it will be rough. And the prayer is that they come running home. At, at which time, we throw a party. We have a, a giant party. And we don't say, look what you did. We tried three times to get you back. No, we say, praise God, you're back. Praise God you're back, brother. Praise God. That's the gospel, friends. We always are ready to throw that party when the brother or sister comes home. But we do not tolerate unrepentant rebellion against God. So up front, church discipline may look harsh and a bit unloving. But, you know, up front, maybe my discipline of my children looks a bit unloving. You know, when Jada's running toward the street and I say, Jada, don't you go there. It might seem a bit harsh at first. I even have to work on that voice. Because I'm, t- I'm normally a pretty gentle guy, you know. But I have to sound really serious sometimes, and then I go in the other room and I kind of laugh, you know. <laughs> but I have to work on that because this is a very serious thing. If she does not listen to her father, she will kill herself. A car will run her over. It will be bad for her. I say, Liv, don't you speak to your mom that way. I want her to grow up to be a respectful woman. If she does not learn to obey me, she will not learn to obey anyone. You don't discipline your kids, you're sending them to prison. Nobody looks at a parent and says, you know, whose kid's throwing an absolute tantrum and and swearing at them and cursing them, and they say, oh, Billy, you're such a pill. They don't really do anything. Nobody looks at that and says, wow, look at the love. You know? Look at the love. They're just overlooking all that behavior. No. You look at that and you say, man, that's like a prison sentence. That kid's going to grow up. He won't know. They're never getting any love. I've actually had youth come to me and talk to me about bitterness with their parents because their parents did not discipline them. 
high schoolers saying, my parents never set any boundaries for me. And it destroyed facets of my life. I have, tr- I have a train wreck of a, of a life because my parents refused to talk to me about certain things. I said, well, I'm not doing that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to discipline in love. Now, to close, we have to understand that the, the biggest You know, we have to have sort of fences to keep us from utilizing church discipline in the wrong way, in the legalistic way. And the biggest one we have is that we constantly here at Life Church understand church discipline in light of the gospel. Anytime you pull church discipline outside of the gospel, it starts getting really wacky and legalistic and judgmental. And and people start saying, man, this is not for me. But here's here's the idea. Here's the big idea. Christians here at Life Church, we understand that that, that people have sinned and, and fallen and rebelled against God. And that God did not leave them in their sin. God did not leave us in our sin, but that God pursues people even in their sin. That is our fundamental understanding. And so that God, even in the beginning, is pursuing his people Israel. And then through all that, in the Old Testament, he's bringing about this ultimate plan of pursuit where he sends his own son to earth to die the to live the life that we could not live, to die the death, pay the punishment that was meant for us, and then to rise again from the dead as we, spoke, as we sang about today, conquering not just the consequences of sin, but the power of sin for us, so that we can actually be free, so that we can actually live with a new power and a new purpose, because there's a new presence inside of us. That is the gospel. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit, when we put our trust in Christ, he gives us the Holy Spirit who continues to pursue us. So God has pursued us in Christ, and then he pursues us in the Holy Spirit. And even after we become Christians, he continually pursues us. And we continue to wander, and then he continually pursues us. And we continue to run to this thing. Maybe this thing will give me life. Maybe I'll try this thing. And he goes, no, 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 don't go there. Hey, come on over here. Come back here. Come back to Jesus. Come back here. And he is a God that continually pursues his people. And so Life Church understands church discipline in this light. We understand it that it is just simply another extension of God's pursuit of you. And my prayer is that next time a brother or sister approaches you humbly and contritely, and even maybe with tears in their eyes and say, this is so hard for me to do because I'm not perfect, but I need to lovingly call you on the sin because it's going to destroy you that you would say, you would hear the voice of the Father saying, I love you, come back to me. I'm pursuing you. I want you, I'm not going to let you go. Do you see the diligence of our God to pursue you, even in church discipline? My prayer is that when you reject that and you shove it back in their face, that they go get one or two other people and they come back to you humbly, contritely. Man, this is hard for us to do. Man, this is gut-wrenching, we hate this. But will will you repent of your sin? Will you come back to the fellowship? Brother, sister, please repent. This is going to destroy you. You hear the Father's voice saying, come on back, I'm after you. I'm pursuing you. I will not let you go. I will not let you go. You shove it back in their face. And then God sends the whole body of Christ after you. I mean, are you seeing this? He will not let you go. He loves you that much that he would say, my whole body's coming after you because you are mine and I'm not going to let you go. That is how we understand church discipline. It's my prayer that that would be your understanding of it, that God pursues us even in the midst of our sin and he will not give up. And he has called his church to be 
his arms in doing that. I'm going to leave you with Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 and 6. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son or as a daughter. Friends, when we are disciplined, let's praise God that we are still his children. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father,